Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. Uh, joining us now in the program, and I'm sure thrilled to be doing so, knowing that we're talking about ways to skirt around paying parking tickets, uh, Brian Newbert joins us from goldenblack.com. Big one for the Boilers. Arizona and Purdue, 4.30 tomorrow at the Fieldhouse, approximate tip time. Uh, Brian, I'll begin with this. It's hard to imagine that there are areas where Arizona can test Purdue that Purdue has not already been tested because they've gone through kind of the gauntlet here of really good teams, and then Northwestern obviously just – you know, that was just a tough one all the way around, and, and you get that loss, maybe wakes you up a little bit. But what's going to be new or different for Purdue in this game that they haven't already seen? Well, you guys must know something about my history with parking tickets. Um, but <laughs> You live in a college get, town, I can only imagine, right? Yeah. Uh, to get to your question, yeah. Um, I think that it's everything Purdue's seen and then some uh, here. I think Arizona's got a level of athleticism and aggressiveness and size on the perimeter plus credible size on the interior. And I don't know if Purdue's seen that combination thereof quite yet. You know, the teams in the, that they beat in Honolulu were all real, really good teams, but I don't know if they had that sort of completeness that Arizona's going to have on top of just the level of talent Arizona is going to have. And, you know, Purdue's tested itself really well here. You know, not only did they play the Maui Invitational, but they played that neutral site game against Alabama. They played that exhibition game weeks ago, weeks and weeks ago now uh, at Arkansas and at a home game against Xavier. I just don't think they've seen a team as complete and as talented as this one. You know, what area, Brian, like when you look at the Northwestern game, because clearly when a team like Purdue, when the losses are the anomaly that they are, Teams are going to try to look at the film of that game and find areas of exploitation. I think we know from a year ago that when Purdue, if they didn't shoot the ball well, that was their Achilles. They got a little bit more athletic at the garden wing position. You and I have talked about that on the air. But what is the? was there anything that Northwestern exposed or that teams will try to take advantage of that has been, been a new discovery about beating Purdue? Well, I don't know if it's new, and I don't know if it's anything opponents necessarily control. But when Purdue turns the ball over, that's it's it's it, it's Achilles' heel. Uh, the thing at Northwestern was 17 Purdue turnovers uh, that led to 20 Northwestern points. That's the game. Um, you know, Purdue um, isn't a great defensive team. But they're better than they were a year ago, but it really hurts them from a defensive perspective when they're giving away possessions and, you know, they're compromised from a defensive perspective. They're also, you know, a really efficient offensive team. It's not just a matter of how many points they score, but it's a matter of the toll they take on opponents with the fouls, with the physical rigors of guarding Purdue, um, with the, their, their ability to get to the foul line. So it's even more, damaging to Purdue than I think it would be a lot of other people when they give away possessions and a lot of that stuff the opponent has a hand in but a lot of it too is sort of carelessness on Purdue's part um you know I think 
I think people throw a lot of different things at Purdue guarding the post. Sometimes that can that can create some turnovers. I think, you know, you are still as good as your guards have been. They're still sophomores, and there's still going to be some um, some moments where uh, they get a little reckless, things like that. But uh, Purdue's got to keep the turnovers to a minimum. Um, if they don't turn the ball over, even if they don't shoot great, you know, they're still pretty they're still gonna be pretty tough to beat. That that's the thing. That was the thing in the NCAA tournament too. They shot bad last year against Fairleigh Dickinson, but they also turned the ball over a ton. And that's that was their thing last year that was their kind of um landmine waiting to be stepped on, and I think it's the same thing this year. Hey Brian, it's Brendan. Great game in Toronto, entertaining, beating Alabama, but this may be an odd question, but Edie with 35, Smith with 27, nobody else ha- had more than seven. When it comes to January and February, is that type of scoring split sustainable? Well, the guys who you know didn't necessarily score against Alabama, they have this season. They've shown that they can kind of be opportunistic and make shots when they're there, when they're there to be made. I think Purdue is still kind of figuring out how to best get Trey Kaufman Wren um, producing next to Zach Eady. I think you've seen flashes there of having another guy who can score. I think when you look at Camden Heidi, Miles Colvin, guys like that, Fletcher Lawyer is obviously a proven player. I think when those guys' time comes, Mason Gillis, um, I think those guys have shown all throughout the season and in really big games too this season, not just, you know, fluff, um, that they can make shots. So, uh, when the time comes, you know, that's going to be the big question. Can Purdue make open shots because they're probably going to get them, but I don't think there's really any red flags there at this point. Uh, there's only so many points to go around, and, um, you know, Purdue scored 90-some points against Alabama. It just so happened that the best player in the country had it rolling and one of the best guards in the country had it rolling, and there just wasn't a whole lot left for everybody else. Brian, when you look – Brian Newbert, by the way, is our guest from goldenblack.com. When you look at some of the newer faces and maybe even looks that Matt Painter has been acclimating and working into this team heading into now once they get into consistent Big Ten play, what area or wrinkle is one that Purdue is still massaging and feeling its way through, whether it be a player, whether it be a scheme that they're trying to do? Is there any one thing that you think deep down Matt Painter thinks to himself, I still need to see more? Uh, well, I think, you know, the experimentation part of the season is probably over, but I think he's still sort of massaging his rotation. Um, I think they're playing 10 guys, and so far it's working. Uh, the hot hand approach to certain positions is working. Um, I think there might still be some fine-tuning there they can do. I think, as I mentioned before, they've put Trey Kaufman right out there as Purdue's power forward next to Zachy, those are two destination players offensively. Those are two guys you play through offensively. Those are two guys who are both very space dependent. And when they both occupy space, you know, something's got to give there theoretically. Um, that was a big question coming into the season. The reason they're doing that was they wanted more scoring on the floor. And I think, you know, there's probably still some upside there to be, um, to be maximized. Uh, but at, the, at at this point in time, you're 10 games into the season. You're you've, you're through the majority of the most difficult non-conference schedule in school history, and um, I think you're probably getting pretty close to the point where 
you know what you need to know. And, uh, you know, I think they're trying to put Miles Colvin on a fast track, so to speak, to getting to be the player that he uh, he can be at some point this season, which would give you a lot of scoring off the bench when it matters most. Uh, I think he's playing – he isn't just playing minutes for a freshman. He's, he's playing really high leverage minutes too. Um I'm sorry. I hope you guys couldn't hear that. Um, no, you're fine. Uh, he's playing really important minutes for Purdue. He's closing games. He's closing halves. And I think that's really going to um, probably accelerate his growth. So continuing to on- to onboard him and hoping it benefits him in the long run, too, for when you need that guy, maybe in March you can come in and get you six points in eight minutes off the bench or something like that. I think that's still maybe where some things are kind of falling into place here. I do think Purdue, for as well-established as they were coming out of last season, was still very much a work-in-progress type of team coming into this year. Lance Jones has been so important as a newcomer, and um, you know they're doing some different things. From a defensive perspective, they're doing some different things from an offensive perspective, and I think that there is still some process involved. I just don't know if there's that one thing necessarily they're trying to iron out other than – you know, continuing to get Trey Coffin running Zach Eby experience playing together. Brian, Brian Newbert, our guest. I'm curious of this answer, and I don't want to put you in a position where it sounds like, you know, you're like a homer because you're not. I mean, I think you pretty objectively cover Purdue, even though you're obviously a Purdue-centric site. Um, you know, a guy like Caleb First, Trey Kaufman Wren, you know, those guys – they have or would have had in the NIL era. There are a lot of guys like that that if they're a Mr. Basketball or a Mr. Basketball runner-up or a four- or five-star recruit and they're at a program that's put them in the spotlight where they've had good games, that would seek the opportunity and the payday, quite frankly, to transfer to a school and put themselves in a better minutes and spotlight position. And yet those guys, amongst others on the Purdue roster, have opted not to do that, but for this group to stay cohesive. What is it about Purdue basketball that has allowed Purdue to buck the trend of what seemingly every other program is, to some would say, fall victim to, others would say, fall circumstance to? Yeah, I think he does a good job kind of picking his guys in recruiting as opposed to just recruiting off lists and recruiting off stars and things like that. I think he he tends to recruit guys over a long period of time, get to know them, get to know their families, get to know the people around them, things like that, and really um, kind of understand fit and who's going to be in it for Purdue as opposed to being in it for themselves. I think the best-case scenario is everybody benefits. You build a good team. And everything falls into place for the players, but sometimes that's not not always realistic. You've got three guys on this team right now who started a lot of games and won a lot of games for Purdue, and Ethan Morton, Caleb Burst, Mason Gillis, who uh, are not starters right now. And you're absolutely right that that's something that can go sideways on a lot of teams. But I think he's done a pretty good job, you know, um, putting together a collection of not just players, but personalities for which winning can be enough. That doesn't mean those guys have to like what's going on in terms of them not playing as much as they were before. But if, as long as you're winning, if that's enough for a player, that's, that, that's a pretty good deal. And I, I can't imagine 
you know, there being a being a better situation to coach than having a team full of guys like that. You're absolutely right. Guys could have guys could have split last season as soon as Zach Eady came back, and all of a sudden your your opportunity to being a 15 and 10 guy right away next year um, or this year was blocked. But you know, these guys are obviously obviously invested in Purdue as much as uh, Purdue's invested in them, and there are guys who could have after last season gone out in the portal and made a lot of money. And, you know, there are a lot of programs in the country who are spending all their time tampering with other people's players. And I'm sure Purdue's players were not, were not um, immune to that, not immune to that, but you you didn't see anybody jump. You saw Brandon Newman leave for more playing time. Other than that, you didn't see anybody, you know, go look for greener pastures. I think that speaks to their, to their investment in Purdue. And I think that speaks to why Purdue's pretty good. Hey, Brian, in conclusion, again, Purdue and Arizona scheduled for 4.30 tomorrow at the Fieldhouse, goldenblack.com, where you can read Brian's coverage of it. Um, Look, you and I don't know each other well, obviously, but we've done, I don't know, I mean, a couple dozen of these interviews over the course of the years. Obviously, on social media, I'm aware of your work, read your work, and and we go back and forth with that. Um, You have been... You know, I'm not necessarily trying to throw your business out there, but you have at times with posts made it public or made it known that there have been health challenges for you in the last few years. And in that, um, I want people to know I've never once seen or been aware of you in any way, shape, or form complaining about any of that. I've never been aware of uh, anything other than you taking all of those challenges head on and being open with people about their own belief and their own journey. And I want to commend you for it. I'm thankful that you know your your health is going in the right direction. And based on all of that, uh, of all people that we talk to, I want to wish you the merriest of Christmases and the happiest of New Years and a happy and healthy holiday season. Well, thank you so much, Jake. I I, I really appreciate that. And uh, all the same to you. You've obviously had your share of things to overcome as well, and you're an inspiration, my man. Well, I appreciate it. And we certainly, you know, enjoy the game tomorrow. It's going to be a great one and enjoy the energy of it too. And then the holidays, Brian. No problem. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. And uh, have a great holiday. All right. Sounds good. Brian Brian Newbert again, goldenblack.com. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, Ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Uh, Joel Nagas on the program, a guy whose voice needs no introduction, but I'm going to do one anyway. He is the senior NBA columnist for The Athletic, David Aldridge, longtime television personality as well when it comes to covering the association, joining us on the program here on a Friday. David, first off, appreciate the time. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you coming on, and you know, I'll be honest with you, um, I think the fact that, you know, 
we're talking to you is in fact illuminating exactly what you have recently written about and that is that it's been a while david since we in indianapolis have suddenly found ourselves you know in the spotlight of the nba and having a player that and maybe it was just for a fleeting moment because of the tournament but a player that was kind of the epicenter of the nba talk for a while there in tyrese halliburton you have written about it uh if you could Take me through just your perceptions, I guess, of this rise of Halliburton and his comfort level with Indiana and putting them on a bigger stage. Well, I mean, look, he he obviously was willing and and wanted to stay because he signed the the extension uh, last summer. And I think that really kind of, to me, solidified the idea that he was going to be he was going to be there long term, right? I mean, he he wasn't looking to go anywhere else. He wanted to be great in Indiana and has been great in Indiana um, for the last year or so. And, and um, you know, this year there, his, his, I guess his excellence has been, was somewhat overlooked because their defense was just so bad, right. For, for a long stretch, they were really, really bad defensively. Um and it kept them from winning games. Now, they're not a shutdown unit now by any stretch, but they're better. They've been better, a little better defensively, and they've won some games. So, um, But, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people around the league thought that that Halliburton had a chance to be a, a star. I don't think – I'm not going to sit here and say people were saying he's going to do this. Um, but I think a lot of people thought with the right opportunity and the right system – he would have a chance to really show what he could do, and and it was going to be impossible for him to do that in Sacramento with uh, with De'Aaron Fox. So, getting to Indiana gave him an opportunity to kind of really put the ball in his hands and let him run the show, which he has shown he can do at a very high level. David, in football terms, you know, in in the NFL, when we talk about quarterbacks, guys can have breakout years as a quarterback, and then you say, well, you know, you got to wait until every team has seen plenty of film and knows how to make adjustments and things like that. Tyrese Halliburton is not a rookie in the NBA. He's been around a while. But is there – is this the first time that because he – in other words, are teams have teams been aware of him for a while, or is he going to have to start making adjustments to his style because people are going to start figuring out what they can do to corral the head of the snake for Indiana? Well, I mean, he'll, it's like any other, you know, great point guard. Teams will try to get the ball out of his hands, right? I mean, it's no secret. They'll double him. They'll, they'll, they'll trap him and, and try to make him move the ball, and somebody else is going to have to make shots. They didn't do it in that game against the Lakers, but they did it in all through the run-up to the, to the championship game. Um, so, you know, is Heel going to make enough shots? Is Toppin going to make enough shots? That's what it comes down to. I mean, it's not, there's no secret to this. It's basketball. It's not rocket science. You know, like um, when the ball, when the when teams try to get the ball out of his hands and the ball goes to the weak side, that weak side guy's got to make something happen. He's got to drive it or shoot it, and he's got to score. Um, so that's where the next step in the evolution of the Pacers will be. Are those guys good enough to do that on a regular basis? Are they good enough to do that in a playoff game? Are they good enough to do it in a playoff game on the road? Do you believe believe they are, the pieces they have right now? I mean, I'm not trying to cop out. I don't know. Yeah, that's fair. The the small sample size I've seen from Toppin in New York last year was no, not enough. Um, And from Buddy Heald over the years has been mixed. 
But, you know, fairness dictates that you give this group an opportunity, right? Like, you have to see what this, what these guys do with, on this team uh, in the playoffs. So if they make the playoffs um, next two or three years, we're going to find out uh, if these guys are good enough. But I think Rick Carlisle, I saw him at a press conference where he was very, he was asked about what, you know, do they need to make a move? And he said they're going to be very, very um, judicious and take their time before deciding uh, what to do in terms of adding to the roster and bringing in a new, you know, bring, trying to go get a, another star or something like that. And I think that's the, I think that's the right approach for Indiana to take. I don't think what you don't want to do is, Say well, we made the finals of the in-season tournament. We've arrived. We just need. We should go ahead and go all in now. That, that's a terrible. That would be a terrible decision. <laughs> um, you got to find out, and you only find out by having a group make two or three playoffs in a row and see what they do and see if they get better. Hey, David, it's Brendan. I was going to ask you about Rick because, of course, he had his stretch as the Pacers head coach before went to Dallas, and you know when he came back, his reputation again preceded him and what he did with the Mavs, but to you as a veteran coach, what has he helped out or done most for this team? I think what Rick all, what Rick is, is very good at is structure. What Rick is very good at is kind of a consistency in terms of expectations and being demanding uh, about details and things like that. Um, and, you know, again, the proof's in the pudding. Every team he's ever coached gets better. Um, this team's getting better uh, because he he is exacting in what he what he wants in terms of offensive, defensive philosophy and, and how he wants the guys to play and how he wants them to be connected. Um, he's very good at it. Um, and, again, he's been good at it at every stop, no matter what, what his talent level was. Uh, and I think he's got a good group. I mean – Adding a guy like Bruce Brown, I think, is worth its weight in gold just because he's just such a team guy. Uh, I think he's a, the type of guy you need. McConnell's the same kind of guy, team guy. Um, and so and you've got a superstar who is, I don't want to say humble because I don't think he's humble. I don't think you can be a superstar by being humble. <laughs> but I think he's not a jerk. I'll put it that way. <laughs> you know, so um, so – uh, you got you got good pieces here, but he, Rick does a very good job of getting those pieces to kind of work together. David Aldridge is our guest. He's senior NBA columnist for The Athletic. David, one of the really interesting things to me about Tyrese Halliburton, and, and I think you're aware of this. I mean, I know that you have multi, you know, you cover every market, but I think people covering the NBA would know this. In Indiana, with Pacer fans, there's a little bit of PTSD over Paul George leaving over Victor sure. Oladipo leaving and so right. to your point it's really big that Halliburton basically said this is where I'm going to be then the question becomes can he get other players to join him here or do the sands of the hourglass run through where he then gets discontented if that's a word or, or un- unhappy because he's not getting players to come here and then we have the other two all over again can Tyrese yeah. Halliburton recruit players to Indiana? Uh, boy, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's, I, it's not, that's not an easy question to answer um, because I, you know, every, every player is different every, um, in terms of their personal persuasion. I, I don't buy the notion that necessarily that 
every superstar is good at recruiting other superstars. You know what I mean? Right. For for the first reason, which nobody, I don't think a lot of people really think about is, like I said, all these guys at that level have monster egos, right? <clears throat> and so it's unusual to get a superstar player to say, you know what, I'm going to go somewhere where I'll be less of a superstar. <laughs> right. I I'm going to make less money, right? Yeah, sure. You know what I mean? Like, just because Miami got it to work once doesn't mean it works everywhere. And in, in most cases, it doesn't work. You know, the recent history has been that it doesn't work very well. Um, you know, and so I think that model is a little outdated, maybe. Um, I think there's – it's not. and again, if you look at Brooklyn with when they went all in, or you look at Philly when they went all in with superstars, it's not really worked all that well. The Clippers – haven't really broken through. They've made one conference final. You know, like it's not like they're in the finals every year. So we may have to redefine superstar, right? right. Like it may not be somebody that is in the all-star game every year. It may be just a really good role player who's willing to take a, a, a secondary role to, to Tyrese. Um, so can he get someone like that? Yeah, probably. You know, can he get and I'm just, I'm not saying, I'm just throwing a name out. I'm not saying this guy's coming, not coming. I'm just throwing a name out as, as a, that level of player, like, um, uh, John Morant, you know, like, could he get John Morant to go? I don't know. Like, I don't know. Um, so I think he, but I think he could get other people who want to win. And that's all you're really talking about. Yeah. I guess, do you think players see him yet? As a guy that they go, that's a guy that I want to play with because he'll help me win. Well, he's the, he is, for a star player, for a superstar player, he passes the ball, right? I mean, he's in the league in assists, right? So, I mean, so you're not playing with a guy that's going to dominate the ball, pound it like Harden, pound it like Kyrie. They're, all, they're great players and they're all right, but they pound the ball. Like, they just do. And so Tyrese does not pound the ball. And that makes him more... Uh, more of a guy that people want to play with because they know they're going to touch the ball. And if they pass it, they'll get it back. You know, that that stuff matters. Um, so, yeah, I think they will. I mean, look, you know, the Pacers had a great run for a long time with Reggie Miller leading the way. Reggie never got anybody who would you, you would consider like a first ballot Hall of Famer to come play there. But a lot of good players played there, you know, and they and they had a run and they got to a finals. And I think that's what the model should be going forward. David, let's not sell short the contributions late in the career of Chris Mullen now. Come on. <laughs> Sam Perkins, come uh, on now. Absolutely. No, well, I said good players. I know. Well, <laughs> trust Mark me. Jackson, good players. Here it's like players, hang not, a banner. The guy was a marquee player. player at one time. Hey, I'm curious to this, David Aldrich, before we let you go. You know, you've covered the league a long time. And you've, you've seen great players, great rivalries, great all of it. Yeah. When we're kids, we read about different – we read different children's books that are of inspiration and underdog stories and, and you know, we're, we're taught to, to believe in ourselves. Give me an NBA player that you covered that maybe wasn't Michael Jordan and maybe wasn't Magic Johnson, but give me a player that you covered that you actually deep down thought to yourself – 
if you could put that guy's life story into a children's book, it would be one of the great inspirational tales, but people wouldn't even believe it because it was such a good story. And maybe the story wow. was even better than the than the quality of the player, but the guy wow. himself was just darn cool. Anybody jump out at you? That is one of the most unique questions I've ever been asked. <laughs> that's, a, that's a really good question. Um, um, I mean, there's so many people. Like Joe Dumars comes to mind. I mean, Joe had Joe. You know, Joe's life and his family is, is fascinating to me. And he wound up being a great player, kind of a self-made great player. Um, and, all, and, and, it, and one of the great people. That I was going to say, a great work. contributor to the game beyond the lines of the court, right? Yeah, but just a good good human being. You know, once treats people with respect and, and has always been kind of a, a good citizen, right? Um so, and I just always liked talking to Joe because he was honest and he was never, he never got caught up in the trappings of being an NBA athlete. Um, you could have very easily seen him be like a principal of a high school or something like that. You know what I mean? Would have had the same qualities as a, as a human being. Um, I mean, that's the type of guy that I think of. Um, Malik Seeley was a great Boy. person. Uh, Malik Steely, man, and you know, David, just, do you remember? Do you remember what happened to him in the playoffs? And I'm sure it was probably even like a gag. But do you remember supposedly when the Pacers were in New York? I think it mm-hmm. might have been Seely's rookie year when he allegedly left his playbook in a phone booth. Yeah, do you remember sure, that? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and somebody got like sent it to the to WFAN, and they're like reading the Pacers plays right. over the radio. Yeah, you know? I remember that. But and then Malik was just a, a good dude. He was a great guy. He was just always positive and, um, you know, and you know, these guys see everybody's trying to be their friend, but Malik always seemed like he was genuinely happy to see you when he saw you, <laughs> when he ran into you, you know, like, and, and, and the, the reverence with which KG and, and Sam Mitchell and the other people that, that really knew Malik talk about him, even to this day, you know, you just, you just, you know, that that was a solid guy. He was a solid dude. Um, so guys like that, I mean, I, that, but I thank you for that question. That was a really good, I mean, nobody's ever asked me that, you know, like, um, and that was, it, it's good. And it's, it, I, I want people to know, and I know you guys know this too as well, like most of the league is guys like that, right. you know, just sure. good people. Yeah. They're, they're good guys. They're not jerks. They really aren't. Um they are affected by money like anybody else, and certainly at the level now that money that the guys are making now. But most of the guys in this league are not bad guys. Um, and that's why one of the reasons I enjoy covering the league is because they're, in the main, mostly pretty good guys. Um, and, and, and I enjoy talking to them, and I still do. You know, David, I know a couple of years ago when, when his career was coming to an end from an executive standpoint that – Donnie Walsh, the former Pacer executive, was, you know, going through and as anybody does, you know, ridding out some of their wardrobe, right? Like getting rid of clothes they don't wear anymore or whatever yeah. else. And as they're going through it, somebody said, "Okay, well, this tie here is obviously twenty five years old." I mean, and and he stops him and goes, "No, no, no, that's a Malik Seely tie. I yeah. got to hold on to that because Malik Seely became a like a you know. Remember, he had a tie line of neckties, but th- the quality of person he was." was one that when you have that little piece of somebody like that, a little piece of fabric that connects to them, you hold on to that. And I think that speaks volumes exactly of what you're talking about. 
I still have one floor from where I'm sitting now in my closet, a Malik Seeley tie. Heck yeah. I like that. I always have a Malik Seeley tie. I like that. David, we appreciate the time. Always good coverage. A couple of really good articles for people on The Athletic about Tyrese Halliburton as well as an interesting look back at the highest scoring game in NBA history that was some 40 years ago. And who knows, that might fall by the Pacers here within the next couple of months. We never know, right? It could. David, appreciate the time, man. Merry Christmas and happy holidays to you, all right? Same to you. Thank you very much. All right, David Aldridge, our guest on the program. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20-milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Trivia here for you guys. Spontaneous query trivia. Not to bring up probably PTSD for Kevin Bowen with that. Billy Jean is or is not the child of Michael Jackson in this song. The chorus, of course, being Billy Jean is not my lover. She's just a girl who claims that I am the one, but the kid is not my son. However, so this is a great bar bet for you guys. Later in the song, he says. She showed a photo and my baby cried because his eyes were like mine because we danced on the floor in the round, thus subtly confessing to the fact that, yes, in fact, she proved that the child is his son. There's your little trivia for you. Is this an episode of Maury? I'm telling you right now. That's right. The, the, the results were in. I'm telling you right now, there's at least one person driving in their car that's like, oh, total mind blow. Read the lyrics. <laughs> it's Kevin, actually. Read the lyrics. That's right. Uh, Kevin Bowen, who, of course, you hear on the morning program with Andy Sweeney, the wake-up call with KB and Andy joining us now on the program to preview Colts and Steelers. That game tomorrow, not Sunday. That's the first interesting thing about it. The second, that it is two teams, Kevin, would you agree? You always know that it's going to be big games this time of year, but this one's particularly big because, you know, Pittsburgh one is one of those that doesn't jump out at you on paper as overly imposing. However, right there as one of those that it almost feels like this is like an elimination game, if you will, for the wild card as it comes down to it. Your thoughts on Pittsburgh? Yeah, it's huge. Uh, you know, if you look at whatever some of the analytics sites, about 40% difference for the Colts, you win. You know, a little north of 60% chance to make the playoffs, you lose. Down to 20, and then, you know, if you lose, you obviously have lost another head-to-head tiebreaker. You've already lost, you know, to Cincinnati and to Cleveland, and that would be pretty damaging as well when you think about, you know, how the next four weeks could play out. Uh, so huge. Yeah, massive, massive. JMV's old must-win. Uh, it certainly applies pretty much to this one. You're going to need gobs of help if you lose it. And if you win it, um, you've got a little bit more margin for error down the stretch. Okay, let's begin with this, Kevin, because you've been at practice the last couple of days. Um, those that we have not seen for a while that could be returning to the field and those that are not going to be in the game that we were hoping to see back? Well, the good news front, um, I don't expect Juju Brents to be available for the first time in nearly two months. I expect him to play. Like, I expect him to be involved in the defense. 
uh, probably at the expense of Daryl Baker Jr. Uh, moving back to the bench. So, um, you know, he certainly hasn't been out there, you know, Juju for quite a while. But, you know, I, I thought when he played, showed some promise and honestly brought a little playmaking to that secondary. So I'll be curious, you know, how he uh, looks after missing so much time. Uh, EJ Speed is back tomorrow. And I think you can make the argument of the four guys you missed last week. Jonathan Taylor, Braden Smith, Speed, and, and Juju. I think you could make the argument Speed was the most missed. Um, I know Ronnie Harrison Jr. got celebrated a lot for that pick six, but I, I just thought there were a lot of other plays in the game where, um, you know, him and the lineup, you know, you could kind of see uh, just the newness of you know, position switch over the course of, you know, 60, 70 snaps for him. Uh, so good news there. Uh, bad news would be Jonathan Taylor. And then I think even worse news is Braden Smith. You know, I know for whatever fantasy football purposes or – you know, more of the headline, it's the Jonathan Taylor missing a third straight game. But for me, it's it's so much more about Braden Smith and the matchup with T.J. Watt and a rookie right tackle and, you know, what Pittsburgh looks like without Watt, with Watt in the lineup. Uh, to me, that's the biggest storyline for tomorrow. Hey, Kev, I was just about to ask you about the offensive line. How much more concerning is the right tackle spot considering that Ryman also struggled last week? So both of your tackles are, you know, of note. Yeah, that's a good point, uh, Brendan, certainly. Um, and, and, you know, when you look at Pittsburgh, they are probably one of the few teams in the league that have two edge rushers that, you know, hell, 31 others would would love to have. Alex Highsmith's a pretty good player. Off the other side, he made a couple of big plays in that game last season. Obviously, Bernard Ryman late last year is a lot different than what he is now. But, um, yeah, I mean, this is, you know, it, it, it's so huge because Pittsburgh needs those two in particular and just their defense to create something. Uh, they can't score. They don't score. They haven't, you know, really in a month, haven't scored over 20 in a month. So they've got to come up with, you know, short field. I mean, if you look at it last week against New England, they scored 18 points with a blocked punt and an interception return, you know, nearly for a touchdown. <laughs> I mean, usually, you know, teams that do that, they win the games, they usually score in the 20s, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, yeah, for me, I mean, both those tackle matches. But in particular, again, I'll go back to Watt. I mean, you know, when you look at the Colts this season, when they've played the elite, you know, pass rushers, those guys have really wrecked the game. And, you know, you know part of it is because they're great players, but I I, I do think there's just got to be even more attention committed to T.J. Watt because, in my opinion, the only way Pittsburgh really is in this game is if they do create something defensively from a turnover and or score standpoint. Kevin, when you look at those teams that are right there in that chase for the wild card and I mean some of them are still trying to secure their own division I realize but I'll just put it to you this way I mean Cleveland Pittsburgh the Colts Houston Denver Cincinnati Buffalo okay there's kind of two ways to look at it one is that some teams might be there because a lot of breaks and scheduling have fallen their way truth be told I think to an extent the Colts fall into that grouping and others might be there because they had actually much higher expectations and tough schedule and injuries now have dropped them into this area. Who would you say falls into the second group, if any, of those that I mentioned? Okay, give that second one again. You said that would be the tough injury group. Teams that circumstances right. have put them there that have gone against them. Like it's not even necessarily their their complete fault that they're in this because they did, we thought they'd be in a higher position. Well, I'd say Buffalo. I mean, I don't know how much of it is injury-related, but 
you know, they certainly have a very difficult schedule, and, and they will. I mean, to close up the year. I mean, they got Dallas tomorrow night, and, and or uh, Sunday evening, I think it is, and they still have a tough schedule the rest of the way. Uh, so I would say Buffalo is certainly a team you expected to be better than seven and six at this point. I mean, outside of that, I think Houston is overachieved. I think Indy is overachieved. I, you know, Pittsburgh, I guess, probably would be a little bit in this area. Um, but I, I still think there are, like, quarterback questions in relation to them. And then, obviously, Cincinnati with, with not having Burrow. So I think a lot of it, maybe outside of Buffalo, Pittsburgh and, and Cincy, especially Cincy, you would put it at, you know, injuries to their quarterback. I remember Burrow was hurt, you know, to start the season and really was limited. You know, Denver, I I guess there's, you know, talent on paper, but they were so abysmal last season. I, you know, maybe this is kind of an overachieve for them. Uh, honestly, Kevin Stefanski for Cleveland, that, that should be a top of list of coach of the year. I mean, it's, it's incredible how many injuries they've had. Unfortunately, they lost the Ben Davis kid, Dewan Jones, this week for the rest of the season as well. Um, they've lost, I think, both their starting tackles besides Dewan Jones and obviously the Nick Chubb injury. I mean, hell, they've won games with four different starting quarterbacks. I mean, how many times do teams even start four different quarterbacks in a season, let alone win four games with each of them? So, uh, yeah, that's probably a little bit of a rundown on kind of where you would slot those teams in. Kevin, when you look at Jacksonville, Jacksonville's at 8-5, and five, okay? They've got Baltimore remaining, as well as Tampa, Carolina, and Tennessee. So it kind of looks like you get past like a big, a big hurdle here, and then maybe it does soften a little bit, but – when you consider, is the division still in play or is Jacksonville kind of safe because they've got the two-game advantage over Indianapolis in the head-to-head and then with Houston, obviously, from an injury standpoint? It's almost like those two can't catch up. But but is it still in play, the AFC South? I mean, it's going to take a lot of you know bad Jacksonville, good Colts, good Texans for that to change. I mean – I think I have this right. Wouldn't it take the Colts going 4-0 and down the stretch and Jacksonville going 2-2 two and two at best? I mean, because, again, they have the head-to-head tiebreaker. Head yeah, correct. Um, so, again, and that's best-case Colts scenario and, you know, obviously very middle-of-the-case Jacksonville with, and you just read off Jacksonville's schedule, Jake. I mean, they've got some pretty manageable games after Sunday with Baltimore. And if I'm not mistaken, I think if somehow all three of these teams were tied at the end of the year I think Jacksonville's already clinched that I believe they're three and one combined against Indy and Houston the best Houston or Indy could be would be two and two and you know when you have a three-way tiebreaker in the division you go with that head-to-head or I guess head-to-head-to-head with all three of them and you know the Colts being swept by the Jags is obviously not helping their cause there so I Again, I'm kind of like maybe it's on the burner, but it's still on the back burner just because, like, you have to acknowledge it. But I just still think given the schedules and given, you know, certainly Houston's injury situation now with C.J. Stroud likely out for this week and and just how, you know, the Colts, I I don't know, I don't see them stringing together another four-win win streak here to end the season. I've probably still just kind of said, all right, let's focus on the wild card and maybe they'll come a point in time where where the division could be there. I mean – Having said that, I guess if you you know just go strictly off of the betting lines, the Colts are a favorite. Jacksonville's an underdog this weekend. So if those two hold true, you know then all of a sudden you are in a a just one win and one loss, and now the Colts could be atop the South. Kevin, one of the things that's interesting to me, Kevin Bowen is our guest. You hear him in the mornings with Andy Sweeney on the wake up call with KB and Andy from seven to ten. One of the things that's interesting to me about Pittsburgh, your natural reaction 
is to go, oh, I mean, huge break for the Colts. They got a backup quarterback. Their starter's not in. Mitchell Trubisky's not exactly set the world on fire in his career as an NFL starter. And then I look at it and I go, but it's not like Kenny Pickett was necessarily like this juggernaut. Do they really have much of a drop-off Pittsburgh from 1 to 1A in terms of the quarterback? You know, I, I think the drop-off is more of, if I'm not mistaken, I believe Pickett was on a pretty good run of protecting the football. So maybe it's not super flashy. Surprising with his little hands that he has, right? He has little tiny hands, right? <laughs> Yeah, I forgot you were all over that back back, <laughs> back during the draft. Hand size, very important. Um, sure, sure, yeah. Get get out the tape measure here and uh, measure your hands. Um, yeah, I would say that's the difference, you know, because obviously Pittsburgh fired their offense coordinator a few weeks ago. They fired him for a reason, and they weren't very explosive offensively. I do think Pickett was doing a nice job of like, hey, let's just keep us in it. And if I'm not mistaken, I think Pittsburgh is second in the league in turnover margin. But when you're as kind of just, meh, I mean, they're very blah offensively. You know, if you just end drives with punts, which gets back to my TJ Watt thing from earlier, the Colts need to end drive bad drives with punts tomorrow and not turnovers. Uh, that <laughs> that goes a long way when you take away the football, and that's what Pittsburgh has done. So I would say that is the difference. Uh, Trubisky to pick it, you know, maybe if both of them are protecting the football very well, it's not a huge difference. But, again, those turnovers can be so catastrophic. So, uh, I would say that. I mean, the thing about Pittsburgh, and I mean, you guys know this. I mean, when you look at like their skill group, I mean, there are many recognizable names. I mean, it's not like I, I don't look at them and think it's Carolina and New England, right? In terms of they just got nobody. I mean, George Pickens and Deontay Johnson have made plenty of plays in their, you know, youngish NFL careers. Pat Pat Fryermuth, when healthy, is a pretty good tight end. Not and I mean, Harris, they can run Jaylen the ball, Warren. Kevin. They, you know, yeah. they can run the ball too and, and soften things a little bit. And that's a good duo. I mean, I think it's, in a way, it's kind of reminiscent of, you know, what you faced last week and go mix and chase Brown. So um, they've got some guys. It's just the offensive line hasn't been great. And, you know, the quarterback play is just kind of blah. Kevin, in case you haven't heard, the 107.5 The Fan Combine is next week in the basement in the gym. So <laughs> start get, stretching my fingers get, now. Get the rule. We're, we still got to race the 40, you and me. So. Uh, I forgot about that. That's that, was, the, that was supposed to be a Grand Park, wasn't it? I know. That's the biggest match of the week. Hey, so do you just chalk it up to just a horrible day as a group? Or when you walk into Lucas Oil Stadium tomorrow, is there any concern? I know it's a sensitive subject over the last few years. Is there any concern about kicking after Matt Gay missed a field goal and an extra point last week? Or do you just associate that with just a brutal day in Cincinnati altogether? Yeah, I'm going to chalk it up. It's just kind of a bit of a you know, outlier for Matt Gay. Now, yes, it's outdoors. It's December. I didn't think it was super windy, to be honest with you, um, considering the temps. And I thought, you know, Evan McPherson, clearly, Cincinnati's kicker did a a nice job. Um, I don't know. There's no way to say this without giving Matt Gay excuses. But, I mean, for what it's worth, the dude, you know, left the stadium in, in Nashville the week prior and had to head straight to Utah and got to Utah just an hour or two, I believe, before his, I think it was his daughter, um, was born so clearly was you know pretty chaotic from a personal life standpoint early last week now he's back in Indy and he practiced all week long but um you know still it wasn't maybe as smooth of a you know week as he has been used to throughout the season so yeah anytime you miss two inside of 40 though it's not good and you are paying him to obviously make those kicks particularly in the month of December so I'm not going to be too too alarmed by it um and frankly this team just needs him to be as reliable as he was early in the year Kevin Bowen is our guest. Kevin, um, 
historically speaking, this has been, you know, an Achilles for the Colts. I mean, the Pittsburgh Steelers have, right? I, including, if I'm not mistaken, the last time they were here, right? You know, obviously, there have been games that it looked like the Colts, you thought like, yeah, they're not going to lose this game. I, it's, it's weird to say a trap game. I, that sounds ridiculous. I'm almost embarrassed to ask it. But is this – I just can't see them losing it. I, I'll be honest with you. I, 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 Pittsburgh can't score enough points, right? Is there really any way Indianapolis can come out and stub their toe? They have to have it. Pittsburgh's not overly they, – they don't strike fear offensively. Like what would have to go wrong for the Colts to lose? Because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on record right now as a guaranteed win. Yeah, I mean, again, when you played elite edge rushers, they've wrecked the game. I mean, if you look at yeah, you you're know, right. Miles the Garrett certainly guys, did. Yeah, you know, Miles Garrett did. Trey, I would argue Trey Hendrickson wrecked. Correct. You know, a big part of last week, uh, and then go back to both the Jacksonville games. I mean, remember the Josh Allen strip sack was such a big turning point um, earlier this season, and T.J. Watt probably is you know at, he's in the Miles Garrett you know category of those three names. So. That, I think, is of the concern. And I remember a few years ago, you know, Minka Fitzpatrick had a huge pick six against the Colts. So, again, there are some guys on that team that just individually can make some plays. Now, having said that, I think Trubisky stinks. And it's a team that right now, there seems to be a lot of internal, you know, beef might be too big of a term, but, like, there are some issues, with, particularly on the offensive side of the ball, with some guys. Um, but, again, individually, I mean, I remember a few years ago, Cam Hayward picking Quentin Nelson up and driving him right back into Jacoby Brissett and, you know, taking Jacoby off the field for a bit. I mean, again, they've got some dudes. And, you know, Mike Tomlin, it seems like every time Pittsburgh is teetering on this, hey, they're going to have a losing season, boom, they just win a game. And it might be ugly and it might be sloppy, but they get it done. So uh, if you can, if you told me right now the Colts win the turnover battle and or you know, Pittsburgh does not create a short field via turnovers. I don't think they're potent enough offensively to overcome that. But I think the line is pretty accurate in calling a coin flip game in that, you know, the Colts right now offensively, I just haven't seen in recent weeks the ability to, you know, really put a lot together. I mean, they easily could have lost in Tennessee. I mean, they needed two block punts and a missed extra point to win that game. So, um, yeah, I, I don't, uh, I, I don't know. Maybe I'll be dead wrong, but I don't know if I've got. I, well, I don't have the same confidence that that you do about this one. Were you su- Life is full of things to manage: your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Surprised, Kevin, and I wanted you to shed a little light because I think it may have crossed paths in the building with you. I'm pretty certain. Uh, Tom Telesco, who was with the Colts for a very long time, was relieved of his duties today as the general manager of the LA Chargers. Probably not huge implications from an Indianapolis standpoint, except for that he is a guy that I that I think was very well respected and very well liked 
with the franchise for a really long time, talking about his connection to the Colts. Yeah, I was a little surprised that it was the full cleaning of the house. Now, I'm actually probably one that kind of agrees with that. I I think it's always weird if you, like, you know, know, keep the head coach and then it's a new GM coming in or vice versa there. Um, I think that's awkward. I mean, you go back to Pagano in 2017. I mean, he was just a lame duck with Ballard taking over for one year and then he fired him. So um, I think what's interesting about it is, does that make that job even more attractive to the big names? And I think the big names would be in some order, Harbaugh and Belichick. I mean, do they look at that and say, wait a minute, the GM is open there too? Because again, when Carolina fired Reich, they didn't fire the GM. So in Carolina and and hell, I mean, just look at the owner, but still, I mean, there's a clear hierarchy there in LA right now the Chargers you know right now it could be just one cook for that entire kitchen and if you're Bill Belichick if you're Jim Harbaugh isn't that pretty darn darn attractive to you if you want full roster control which you know those two would seem to want that I'm also curious this maybe I'm giving Justin Herbert too much credit but I am interested like is there a current head coach of a team and for some reason, Mike Vrabel's popping in my mind, but like they've done some nice things. They're pretty established. And all of a sudden, do they look at that situation as one that they want better than their own? Whatever. Their own has a weird quarterback situation. They don't like the direction. Um, I'm trying to think in the NBA, didn't we kind of have that with like Quinn Snyder moving on to the Hawks? I don't know. Maybe that, that didn't add up. Um, but, you know, it's something along those lines of like, Again, does the fact that you have a Herbert pretty established, um, would that be attractive to some people? I would think. uh, Very interested to see how that opening plays out. Kevin, do you remember a couple of years ago, and it was like three years ago, Jimmy Johnson, uh, the football commentator, not the race car driver, Jimmy Johnson said on one of the pregame shows that if he were to draft any player in the league right now for his roster, he would take Justin Herbert. And, you know, I think that Justin Herbert is very highly thought of because he's, you know, he's a very good player, obviously. That combined with the fact you're playing in L.A. and you're playing in a great stadium has to be of appeal. I guess the other question, you mentioned Belichick's name. I would be under the belief that with Belichick, this is it. Do you think he would go somewhere else? I don't know. How old is he? Is he seven? What's he? He's got to be in his 70s, right? I'm going to guess he's 71 is my guess. Brendan, let's play yeah. it. Your guess. Price is right rules, Belichick? Kevin. Closest without going over. Belichick, I'm going I'm going 71. What's your guess, Brendan? 73. Uh, Kevin, your guess? Uh, I was going to go right in, right in between those two. <laughs> Kevin with the – actually, that's you're kind of pigeonholing yourself there. Um, I okay. know. I know. Would you like to know, know the answer? One dollar, Bob! What is 71. the answer, Eddie Garrison? 71. Thank you very much. What did we wager? Absolutely Look nothing. You that. guys each owe me a dollar. A brand new car! Um, but so that, that said, <laughs> I, do you think this is it for him if he were to well, decide to part ways? I, part of me says no, but part of me is like, what the hell is Bill Belichick going to do with his life? Um, I mean, I, I just look at that Chargers situation and, you know, if I'm not mistaken, I want to say each of the two years before, they were over 500. You know, it's, it's not like, I mean, they've been god-awful. And, you know, Herbert's had, they got a lot of injuries around him defensively. Brandon Staley you know, was supposed to be kind of his M.O. They struggled there as well. So that, to me, just looks like a relatively quick fix of 
you, know, you walk in there, new, I, I don't know, maybe a little bit like Denver this season with how Sean Payton has kind of viewed some things. So um, now, granted, do you want to be in the division with Patrick Mahomes? I guess that would kind of be devil's advocate off of that. But, I mean, if you look at the Raiders, you look at the Panthers, you, you look at the Chargers, I mean, of those openings, I mean, if I'm Belichick, it's pretty darn obvious what would be atop the list. By the way, right now, Vegas odds, next Chargers head coach, plus 300, clubhouse leader, Bill Belichick. Followed by Frank Smith, Kellen Moore, Ben Johnson, uh, Jim Harbaugh is at plus nine hundred. Brian Flores also at plus nine hundred. There you go. Interesting. Lincoln oh, Riley yeah, fourteen to one. Lincoln Riley. Wow. Wow. I mean, they probably go offensive. I mean, if that's you know how you're looking at it, of you know the one eighty from Brandon Staley, but I don't know. It's Belichick in L.A., dude. He just seems like you know gloomy northeast weather. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing: you go from a you go from a hoodie to a speedo, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, God. I don't know if I want to picture uh, old Bill in that there. Yeah, yeah. That's but you're right. He doesn't exactly. Do. He doesn't exactly radiate sunshine, right? Could you imagine no. being Brandon Staley right now? Millions of dollars fired in Vegas. Brendan's really hung up on oh, the Vegas thing. Oh, it's, it's unreal. One eight hundred nine with it. Brendan is the telephone. Uh, uh, unreal. He, he got on the plane, right? I mean, I don't know. Fly home last night. I I would have. I I feel like they would have told him after the game. That's just my opinion. Well, that's – I mean, hell, I, I actually agree with Richard Sherman. I thought they should have fired him at halftime. <laughs> that was, Four, that was unreal that yesterday. Is it? Uh, how about this? The yeah. Raiders last night scored more than the Colts have ever scored in, as an Indianapolis franchise, right? Last night? I mean, isn't uh, – That sounds right, yeah. 55 is yeah. the most, right? I mean, right, unbelievable. Right. I couldn't believe – I mean, they scored 42, and they didn't even start the game with the ball. You know, sometimes you get the extra possession on the first – like, they didn't even start the game with the ball. I mean, they score 42, and yeah, uh, boy, good good work at Aiden O'Connell. Kevin, when you are at the – Kevin Bowen, our guest, when you're at the Colts-Steelers game, Lucas Oil Stadium, uh, will you be paying more attention with the other eye to Purdue, Arizona, or what time does Indiana tip off with Kansas? That's also like 3.30 or 4, isn't it? That's early. I think it's 12.30. Is Indiana, Indiana Kansas? Kansas? Okay, so you can do both possibly yeah. then, right? Okay. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll be. Um, yeah. I mean, honestly, I'm selfishly pretty pissed that Purdue Arizona at the same time, but I'll try to dual screen it best I can. Purdue Arizona is gonna be fun, no question about it. Right. Mm-hmm. Great atmosphere downtown. Secondary ticket. Have you guys seen those secondary ticket prices for it? For it's which crazy. one? Purdue Arizona. Yeah. I mean, huge prices. Hey, man. Number one of the two to the top three teams in the country, right? Yeah. Let's, I mean, let's right, go. The whole event sold out like original tickets. Yeah. Yeah. So. It's a school. I just don't view Arizona as like you know this massive fan base that's well, traveling to Indianapolis. Correct. I mean, it's not like they. It's a long way to go, man. And if you're living in Arizona right now, you're like, do I want to go to the weather in Indianapolis? Um, right, Kevin, who'd your right, son exactly. pick? Have you done the pick yet? No, we haven't. I was telling Eddie uh, that's on the agenda when when he gets home from daycare. Before he does anything else, before he touches a toy, he's got to pick a helmet. So you don't do anything like um, you know to to make it a more rapid filming. You, you don't like hide a. Uh, uh, piece of food under it and like you know not have him eat lunch or anything like that do you like no no, no children no, we, are harmed during the uh, filming of your your videos right no no there thankfully there's not that we don't need cps at the front door or anything um <laughs> but yeah we did uh early in the year i'm trying to think which helmet i mean he was just in a mood i think it was it was outdoors so it must have been the ravens game we want to do it outdoors and uh we it, it got to a point we had to put cheese it's on top of each helmet and then he would just just walk over there or crawl over there and literally just eat each cheese it. I'm like, well, there goes that idea. 
Uh, luckily, <laughs> after about the 13th take, he finally picked one. So He's got to be the most uh, popular kid at daycare, right? Five in a row for the kid. Internet so, celeb, really? Yeah, I know. I know. So we'll see. Uh, dealer's helmet. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess black, yellow, red, blue. It's got some color. I, I, yeah, I mean, I guess that could be attractive to him. Now, this helmets, the helmets that you do, and for those that are unfamiliar, Kevin Bowen does a video where his son crawls in well, and, and picks the two helmets side by side. Whichever he grabs first is going to be the winner of the game. Now, there could be a little bit of bias in it in the fact that the Colts helmet he is now seeing every single week. He's probably figured that out, right? So the other one is kind of more exciting. But right. uh, this is stems from, was it his cousin that is the motivating factor that has an obsession with helmets as well like I do? Yeah, he's got an older cousin that's obsessed with them. And then, you know, we do these picks every Friday. I mean, you guys do the same thing. I mean, it's like, what the hell do we know? So let's just have that 15-month-old see how effective he is, which, you know, continue to listen to our show, please. Um, but he's 8-5 and five on the year. And I guess to answer your first question, I do bring both helmets out into his toy area on Mondays. So he is. Amongst the toys, he has seen the Steelers helmet now for a few days. Obviously, okay, he's seen the okay. that's, that's a, a very good well. variable of the control there. That's a, well done. Right. Nice. I know. I feel like the, my, my ex-science teachers would, would, would appreciate that aspect to it. So, <laughs> uh, But like you and I have had this conversation, Jake, there's not a lot of white helmets. You know, it's like Buffalo, Miami, and yeah. you would know the other one, but uh, Indy, obviously. So, yeah, there's not many. So, um, he had a run there with Colts last week. His sister threw a fit, and she kicked the Bengals' helmet. And sometimes the ball doesn't bounce your way. It's, you know, December football. You never know. And next thing you know, he's picking up the Bengals' helmet, and he got the last laugh. Chargers a white helmet, right? Is that right? Yes. Yep, 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 yeah. But, again, it's like the Colts haven't played any of these teams. So, you know, he, he has only seen dark color helmets, and he'll certainly see one when he – little does he know what's waiting for him when he walks in the door tonight. I think we all know what truly the coolest helmet in the NFL is. So. We all know. It's the it's the retro Seahawks. Uh, Kevin, enjoy it. We will see you at Lucas Oil Stadium tomorrow. I know it's going to be a busy Saturday for you, but a lot going on, great time of year. And then you guys will be talking about it at 7 a.m. on Monday. Awesome sports weekend, boys. Enjoy it. It is. Thanks, Kev. Kevin Bowen joining us.